welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Excellent. Well, my name is Peter, as I mentioned. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory. And uh, many of you would know me, but some perhaps wouldn't. But um, before I was a pastor here at the church, I used to be a tech studies teacher. And so that, you know, entailed working with wood and metal and computers and bits and pieces like that. And before that, I used to like messing around with cars and making things. I've always been a bit of a Tim the Tall Man sort of person, for those who remember that show, Home Improvement. And, uh, you know, I like tools. I can appreciate a good tool. So... I just want to share something with you tonight, if you don't mind, all right? I'm going to take a leaf out of Cesar's book, is that all right? So I've got a bag here with a few bits and pieces in it, and uh, where are we? Just going to share a couple of tools here. What's this one? Benno? That's a screwdriver, mate. (laughs) It's actually a posi-driver screwdriver, but it's a screwdriver nonetheless. And this is a saw, yes. Now look, you know, these are good tools. I've got nothing against these tools, but they are actually what you call hand tools, all right? Now hand tools are good. I mean, this, this is a nice screwdriver as far as it goes. It's uh, nicely shaped. It um, fits nicely in the palm of your hand. It's sort of rubberized texture so you can get a good purchase on it. It's got a hardened tip so that it sort of won't sort of chew out the first time you use it. So look... It's a good tool. But there's only one problem with this tool and with that tool is that someone's got to actually hold the thing and use it. And so there's a weakness built into this thing and it's the person using it, um, whoever that might be. So nothing wrong with it in itself, but at the end of the day, this thing's power. I mean, it's good, but... Like, nothing's going to happen. It needs someone holding it, all right? Same with the saw. Now, I've got some other tools in here, which I like these ones a little bit better. It's an AEG, mate. It's even better. So we've got some tools here. Now, these tools are essentially beefed-up versions. I mean, that's going to do the same job as that, sort of. But um, just to show you how much of a difference is, I've got some volunteers here tonight who are going to show us a bit of skill, hopefully. Now, where's Amrik? Amrik and Bazza, can we put our hands together? Boys. I've, I've got a little project for him. Used to be a tech studies teacher. Everyone needs a cross. Don't leave home without it. So, Amrik, buddy, there you go. There you go, mate. I could have really rubbed salt in the moon and got a shower to do what I'm going to get Baz to do, but I won't do that. All right, Bazza. Here we go, mate. That's one for you. Nice. Thank you. There we go. And you might also want this one here. So basically, boys, all you need to do, it's a fairly simple project. Just want you to uh, cut your piece of timber in half. Well, not in half exactly, but in th- take a third off the end of it. And then I want you just to quickly insert four screws and end up with this particular item that you see before you. So on your marks, get set, go. (laughs) Go, go. (laughs) 
You see what I mean about the saw? Nothing wrong with the saw. Nothing at all wrong with the saw. Oh, bad, you finished. Nice work. Come on, Amrit. Let's hear it for Amrit. Come on. Come on, buddy. You can do it. Help him. Oh, well done, mate. Okay, so they're both pretty much going at the same speed. Well done. Just put those screws in, Amrit, quickly. There we go in there. For those that are uh, listening to this, uh, Amrick's having a bit of trouble putting a screw in a bit of wood. Baz is nearly finished. <laughs> Got four screws in. Last one's going in. Will he get it wrapped around his shoelace? No. Beautiful. Okay, we have a winner. Just keep going, mate. Keep going. Keep going. Awesome work, mate. Awesome. Give you eight and a half out of ten, mate. That one's counter sinking a bit too far. That one's not quite a little bit proud there. Uh, uh, screw hasn't gone through the wood yet, mate. That's a bit of a problem there. All right, that's just a bit of a flashback for me there. Uh, so, was yeah, thanks guys. You can let's give these guys a hand. Welcome to Pete's woodworking class. Now you might say, what's the point of all that? Well. I don't know, just a bit of fun. No. no, seriously, there is actually a point. What I want to, the point I want to make here is there's a big difference between manpower, as <laughs> exampled by the fabulous Amrick over there, and, and the machine power that uh, Baz demonstrated so wonderfully for us. There's a big difference there. Even, even just a little project like this, which hardly even deserves to be called a project, really, just, just one saw cut, four screws is put in, and yet we saw that there was a big gap in terms of the time taken to complete the project. And uh, if the project was larger, that gap would become increasingly obvious. So if I'd have said to you guys, quickly, let's assemble a cabinet um, and you know, give it a few more tools to Baz and, and let Amrick loose with a few other things as well, but without power, um, you know, the project could be completed, but we would have been here for days probably. And if I'd have said, okay, let's, now the next thing you've done, now that you've had done your apprentice, let's go build a house together, um, you can see that that which can be achieved in man's strength is different than that with that which can be achieved with the strength of machines, okay, with power involved, external power. And so I want to basically just pick up on that thought tonight because let's imagine that this cross which has been assembled is representative of the project that God has for the church on planet Earth. You may remember back in the beginning, uh, 2,000 odd years ago, Jesus commissioned his church to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, basically to extend his kingdom and influence. And so let's just imagine for a moment that this cross represents those few words which sound so easy to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, who was he speaking to? He was speaking to a dozen or so guys who he'd worked with fairly closely and some other associates and friends and people who were hangers-on. And, you know, we know that after Jesus had risen from the dead, there was a time, one time when he appeared to a crowd of 500 or so. Then there was the, another time in the upper room, there was 120-odd people. And so Jesus 
gets this very, very small number of people, smaller than the number of people in this room, and he commissions them to go and effectively change the world. So this represents all that the church has been involved in in the last 2,000 years. This represents the challenges that the church faced. Never mind preaching the gospel, but the challenges that the church was called to address just because Jesus had called them to be like him. The challenge of poverty. The challenge of persecution. The challenges of sickness and disease and death and demonization. The challenges of going into cultures that were unlike the culture that they were used to. The challenges of going to places where they spoke different languages. The challenges of of going in and through natural disasters and areas that were in famine and flood and in wars. Partly represented by this cross that the church, or the, the project the church was called to. Think about the challenge of the individual believer. And again, the individual pressures that that person would face. Think about the early church and the fact that every one of them died for their faith, apart from John and the disciples. The fact that within, you know, in the first couple of hundred years, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians had given up their lives for their faith. And possibly something that's even harder to take, but watching your family give up their lives for Christ. And yet the church was called to advance. Despite the misunderstandings, despite the dangers, the fears, the insecurities, all the weaknesses of the flesh, and yet Jesus commissioned his church to go into all the world. Throw into that mix, which I think already is starting to look pretty daunting. I'd rather build a house any day. Throw into that mix the fact that the devil is actively opposing the church. He's actively seeking to cause division. He's actually seeking to rise up pride in people and arrogance. He's actually seeking to distort the truth and bring false teachers and false prophets into the church. And Jesus said, just go into all the world and preach the gospel to a number which seemed to be at most 500 people, more likely to be 100 or a couple of hundred people, but certainly at least 11 guys, 12 guys, and their immediate family and friends. And so I don't know about you, but you could be forgiven, or you could certainly forgive the early church. If, if, imagine if it looked like this. Imagine if we didn't have the New Testament, but we had this little footnote in history somewhere that said, and the church gave it a shot, found it was a little bit difficult, so decided to head off into the mountains and start a commune. Because you, you could kind of forgive them for that, couldn't you? But that's not what we read. We read the church went forward with power and with passion and transformed the world that they found themselves in. And they didn't just confine themselves to Jerusalem. Yes, there was the odd hiccup, and yes, they had to have a bit of prodding and pushing here and there. But ultimately, they went into all the known world at the time. And in a relatively short period of time, the whole known world was Christianized. I mean, we think of, you know, today of of going to places like Africa and China and India and, you know, We feel like we're reaching those places for the first time, but those places were were well and truly um, evangelized in the the first, second, third, fourth century. These places were well and truly Christian up until about 1000 AD, until many of them were wiped out by wars and other religions who persecuted them and so on and so forth. So what the church was able to achieve was out of all measure and all perspective, 
you know, way beyond anything that their corporate intelligence and strength and wisdom or status or wealth could bring to the picture. Their natural abilities were way outweighed by the magnitude of the task. And so I want to have a look at that tonight. Because the trouble is, that was the start, and that's what we see in history in many, in many cases. But when you hear the church spoken about today, be it by your family or your friends who may not be Christians, or be it in the media or in the, you know, wherever, but generally you don't hear words like powerful, passionate, you know, moving forward, making a difference, being a blessing to us. You just don't. It's kind of like hypocrisy, weakness, insipid, you know, good on them, but, etc. And so there's obviously some reasons for that, or what's taken place. There's probably a whole bunch of reasons for that, but I want to have a look at one which I think is one of the main reasons tonight. So if you'll bear with me, we'll turn to the Bible now, Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus said this, I'll read the scripture, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is shortly after his resurrection and before he descended back to heaven. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised that you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with, a water, but in a, with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they met together, and, and the disciples knew well and truly what he was talking about. He had spoken on many occasions about this gift. You know, when John first came on the scene, he talked about the fact that I baptized with water, but one is coming who will baptize with fire. Jesus spent a whole couple of chapters in John um, 15 through to 17 just talking about this Holy Spirit who would come, the gift of the Father. He says he's with you, but he'll be in you. And he will counsel, he will comfort, he will empower, and so on and so forth. And so they knew what he was talking about. And he's saying, wait here until you receive this gift. And so, they met to, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to re- restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So tonight's message, I just want to call it power up. Because I think there seems to be a lack of power. There seems to be a lack of passion. There seems to be a lack of, of energy within the church today as a whole. It's not the, I don't think it's the case here. I think, but I think we can all continue on and expect more in terms of what God is able to do through our lives. Every one of us, the task is bigger than us. All right? So firstly, just what is this power? What is this power that Jesus is talking about? Well, basically, it's just God's direct enabling us or enabling influence upon his people to do what he's actually asked them to do. The job that Jesus called his church to do, remember, represented by this. Some of the things I mentioned. There were many, many, it's representative of so much. It's representative of building projects. It's representative of soup kitchens. It's representative of reforming. And it's representative of abolition of slavery and so much more. That job that Jesus called the church to is too big for mere well-intentioned people. It's too big for clean living people. It's too big even for God-fearing people in and of itself. 
It doesn't matter how nice we are. It doesn't matter how much we've got to act together. This job that Jesus has commissioned the church to is way too big. And so he said that you guys are to wait until you receive power. Again, think about it, and it's a weak illustration, I know, because ultimately man's behind making a cordless drill. I, I get that. But at the end of the day, the struggles that Amrick had versus what Baz was able to do. Picture that as Christianity in the flesh, just our well-intentioned self doing our best to be like Jesus, doing our best to be a good person, doing our best to get out and beyond ourselves and share the gospel with someone, get someone to church, whatever, just doing our best versus God's supernatural enabling, as, as demonstrated by Baz with his own strength, his own skill, his own wisdom, but given some extra assistance from outside. And so this is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus is wanting to do in the church and through the church. So living God's preferred way requires a whole new dynamic. That word power, it's, it's the, the, the Greek word dunamis. It's dynamic. He wants to bring a new dynamic into our life, something that moves us, something that motivates us, something that stirs us from within, something that enables us. It's a power to do and it's a power to be. And if we look at the early church, we see there's a whole bunch of doing going on and there's a whole bunch of being going on. People were being transformed, becoming more like Jesus. They, they lived in ways they never believed possible. And some of the things they did, you know, we read of people healing the sick. We read of people um, raising the dead. We read of people um, casting out demons. We see all manner of amazing things taking place. We see people being persecuted. Instead of, instead of getting all bitter and twisted and bent out of shape, they actually end up praying for and being a source of blessing to those who were persecuting them. They were living in a realm that was way beyond themselves. They had power to share. We see, you know, I always use the illustration, I know, but for Peter, a man who was intimidated by a slave girl just days before, just as Jesus was about to be crucified, he caved in. He had all the good intentions in the world, but he caved and put under pressure when he saw Jesus arrested. And yet, just after he'd received this power that Jesus was spoken about, he stood up in front of the people of Jerusalem, thousands of people. And he didn't just preach a nice, safe gospel message. He accused them of murder. And such was his authority with which he spoke that they came under deep conviction. 3,000 people were saved that day. They had power to joyfully endure. Under and you don't get the impression when you read the Bible, it's like, poor old me. You read about Paul when he's in jail, he's suffering in a way that you and I could only ever dream of. I mean, you know, it's tough in here, isn't it, without a heater sometimes. <laughs> and here's a guy writing from jail. A dank, smelly, wet, rat-infested environment. And yet he's, you don't get the impression he's depressed. You get the impression he's excited at the opportunities that are presenting themselves. He's got time to be with God. He's got time to witness to his jailers. He's got time to be able to talk to other prisoners who possibly are facing heaven right there and then. Power to love those who persecute him. Power to turn enemies into friends. That's the sort of power that Jesus was talking about for the church. And that's the sort of power I think that we need if we are going to be, and if the church across the board is going to be, of a significant influence and impact in this day and generation in which we live. Because they've had their turn. But it's our turn today. So who's this power for? Because again, you know, the devil's sneaky. He will always try and externalise things for us. 
He would always try and make it seem like you know, the Bible promises for everyone else except for us. He would always try and make it seem like it's all right for them. Or perhaps it's just for those super Christians. Or perhaps it's for first century Christians or whatever. But what is the real deal here in terms of this power that's available for the church? I think both logically and scripturally it's pretty plain. If we look at the scripture, we go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter makes it pretty plain. This is part of that sermon that I spoke where he had just been emboldened to get out there and just say it like it is. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So who's it for? I think he's covered every angle. I don't think God could say it any more plain. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for all those who are far off. And then if we still don't get it, if we still don't get that it's, it's you know, into other generations and other nations and so on and so forth, he says, no, it's actually for all whom the Lord our God will call. So if you're a believer, you're a believer by the virtue of God's calling on your life. So this gift, which Jesus has gone to lengths to explain and which we've, we see demonstrated in the New Testament, is for all. It's for us. So scripturally, it's for all. I think logically it's for all as well because has the job changed? The, the task that the early church was commissioned with, there's been no other orders from heaven since then. It's like we're on the same mission. And so the same mission surely requires the same energy, the same empowering. You know, things were bad back then. Things are bad today. You know, they have their good days. We have our good days and bad days. The challenges were slightly different back then than they are today. But they were challenges nonetheless. And so the challenges are different, but they're still challenges that are beyond us. And the point is that we need God's supernatural enabling in our lives. You think about your situation right now, wherever you are. You've got people in your life who you would love to see come to Jesus, but they are blinded to the gospel. They are blinded to the fact that Jesus loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. And you know, if they were just blindness, that, that would be fine. Because you, you know, if it was just a matter of bringing some understanding, you'd talk to them about it. But there's an unreasonableness that goes with it. It's like people are hostile to the truth. And so for us to break through, for us to continue to keep going in the face of unreasonable opposition and possibly persecution, I don't know about you, but I think I need some extra help with that because I'm not loving enough. I'm not patient enough. I'm not consistent enough. I mean, I'll give someone a go for a little while. I'll, I'll ask them to church a couple of times and, you know, if they kind of pick up on the ask if you quit, I'm happy to talk to them. But I know Christians that pray for people day in, day out, year after year, you know, decade after decade because of the power of God that's in them. We need God's power to break through where we can't break through. We need God's supernatural power to keep giving in a world that keeps rejecting and deliberately rejecting and deliberately hurting. You know, I remember reading a story of a a family, I think it was somewhere like the Philippines, this, this family had a son um, who went to America. And while in America, he was killed. And this family are obviously devastated. thinking, what do we do? And they're a Christian family. And so what they did 
What is a godly response? What would, what, a, what would a Christian do in this situation? I know what a natural person would do, and that is just get all bent out of shape, want revenge, and all that. But this family determined to give the young man, they, 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 obviously um, the court case went through, was sentenced to jail and all that sort of stuff, and they heard something of his upbringing, background, and all that sort of stuff, and they decided that they were going to give this young guy the chance their son never had. And so they saved their money, and, and they saved, and they eventually, when this guy got out of jail, they put him through college, and he ultimately got saved because of their witness. Now, that is not natural. That is not normal. That is not something that you can just, on a good day, decide you're going to do. Because you might have a good day, and you might be feeling super spiritual and like, you know, the best thing that's ever come into God's church for one day. But the next day, you're going to get up and you're going to go to work, and you're going to be reminded about your son and, you know, you're going to get your money at the end of the week and you're going to start to hurt and you're going to start thinking about your other kids. And... But by the grace of God and the power of God, unreasonable things can be done that can have supernatural and amazing results. We need supernatural wisdom and discernment to see people set free from emotional turmoil and torment and addiction and depression, so much of which is, is demonically inspired and set up by the devil. Now again, thank God for counselling, thank God for programs, thank God for friends who can just get alongside and help someone through. But we see Jesus casting out demons for some people when they were sick and stuff was going on in their lives. And you know the point is that if it's a spiritual problem, you can throw any amount of natural solution at it, and it isn't going to change one little bit. We need to be able to discern the difference between a person who just needs a leg up and a person who needs deliverance. We need supernatural and enabling to do that. We need God's power to minister to those who are beyond the help of doctors. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we live in a world today where we know that people die from sickness, but by and large, we think it's only you know, those that are really sick, and the doctors, by and large, have got a good handle on things. And I thank God for doctors. But I was talking to Kathy just recently. She said, you'd be amazed at how many things we've got no idea about. I don't want to freak you out, but... <laughs> it's true, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, we've had some stuff with, with Hannah, you know, and the, she's been to quite a few doctors, and, and they've been emailing around the world and trying to get different... They don't know what's been going on in her life. And there are so many people... Like Kathy, they had a lady, in, a, one, a young girl in hospital for 12 years who they couldn't help. They could, they could address the symptoms, but they couldn't actually help her and heal her. And there's so many things like that. And we think you know, that almost like the, the, the gift of healing is almost irrelevant today in the Western society. And we just expect to see it in other places, but not here. But I think if we're a little bit more aware, A, we could, we could pray for our doctors and our nurses and our medical system, but also we'd be praying a little bit more fervently perhaps when our family members get sick and, and we, we send them off to hospitals and off, thinking, oh, they'll be all right. And these guys are going, because they're not God. They don't know all. They're doing their best. Kathy told me, up until 100 years ago, you were more likely to die from going to a doctor than live. You were going to be, you're, more like, sorry, you're more likely to be worse off than going to a doctor. So they've only really got 100 years of, in the positive zone. <laughs> they don't know all. There's plenty of scope for the church to be able to minister to the area of physical healing and need. We need God's supernatural grace. And this is, this is possibly more of a modern thing, but you know, people that have been made useless 
through generations of neglect and just living in a welfare, a welfare system that basically robs people of their responsibilities and their dignity and stuff. And I don't know about you, but there's, an element, there's a level of grace that, that's got to be supernatural for us not to get cynical and bitter and twisted and bad attitudes. If we're to really help these people, because Jesus came for the least, not for the best. He came for all, but you know, he, he's very concerned for those who couldn't help themselves. And often the ones who couldn't help themselves are the ones that we are, are most likely to lose patience with first. In our own life, we need God's supernatural wisdom to avoid the schemes of the enemy because the devil wants to take us out. He wants to nullify our effectiveness. He wants to hurt us and he wants to hurt our families. And it's the grace of God that keeps him at bay, but there's our part to play. And again, if we just bumble along in life, we are going to minimize ourselves something fierce, but God wants us to be aware. He says not to be unaware of the devil's schemes. And so we need to be aware of the things that are likely to distract us and hinder us and hold us back out of the plans and purposes of God. Do I need to go on, really? I hope I'm building a case to say, hey, look, I don't know about you, but I'm speaking for myself. I think there's a definite need I see for God's supernatural empowering in my life and, and in our life and in the church, broadly speaking. These challenges are not just the challenges of the super-Christian or the pastor or the missionary or whatever. This is the challenge of every church in every nation and every church in every nation made up of just ordinary old believers like you and me facing the same sort of challenges. God needs to empower us. Screwdriver, cordless drill. Can't do it in our own strength. And if we can, you know, there are some things that we can do in our own strength, but man, we're going to waste a whole lot of time and energy. God wants to help us to do life with an ease. You know, Rob Rufus spoke about the grace of God, talking about giving us unusual advantages in life. God wants to give us unusual advantages in life. We can tap into his power and we can achieve more in less time with less sweat, less energy, less stress and frustration, less fallout than if we just bring our own wisdom to bear and our own strength and so on and so forth. So what's the evidence of empowerment? You know, if you buy a cordless drill or some sort of cordless tool or appliance or whatever, it's, it's awesome, you know, like you, you kind of get this thing and if you're anything like me, you'll get it out and you'll look at it and think, ah, it's nice. Have a bit of a play for a while, but at the end of the day, you've got to get, you know, you, you, you can only look at it and last for so long. You've, you've eventually got to, <laughs> you've got to get the thing working. So then you, then you sort of whack the drill in and you add the battery in and you go to use it. And you think, oh man, the battery's not charged. That sucks. You know, I want to get, you know, I'm just, I've been looking at all the loose screws around the plug. I've been making screws loose for months just so I can just get in there, you know. <laughs> Not really, at least. Sorry. Right. <laughs> but the first thing you've got to do is you've got to whack this thing on charge. You know, it, it comes discharged, generally speaking. And so there's a period of just waiting while it cycles through and brings itself up to charge. And you get this stupid little annoying light that just sort of flashes. So I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. It's like, oh, come on, man. Is it really the green light, the red light I'm waiting for? No, not ready yet. Read the instructions again sometimes. <laughs> But eventually the green light comes on and just stays on. And that's the symbol. It's ready to go. Yes. 
And I guess my question is, is there anything like that as a Christian? Because I was a Christian for a long time, and, and for a while nothing really changed. And, you know, there's some good stuff that happens when you first become a Christian. But if we're honest with ourselves, many Christians don't live at the level that we see in the, in the Bible. And many of us possibly aren't even living at the level that we once did. And some of us have never really feel we've reached any level. We've just faithfully come into church and doing our best. And again, it's, it's a little bit intimidating when you read the Bible. So how can we know? Is there, is there some sort of indicator of just hit and miss? Maybe God will do something, maybe he won't. Well, I want us to have a look just quickly again through the book of Acts and just have a look. I think we can, assuming that we are acknowledging the fact that there is a gift from God of empowerment and that we actually have asked God for that gift and we want that gift in our lives, that we can actually know when it's happened. We don't need to assume. Again, this is not a first-class, second-class Christian sort of thing I'm talking about here. This is just, I think there's a reality that unless we've actually, you know, if that battery's not put on charge... It looks the goods, but it's not yet charged. It won't do the work. And we've spoken before about, you know, when we become a Christian, there's certain elements of that. There's repentance. We need to repent. That's a, that's a work that we do primarily. Yes, revelation comes from, from God, and, you know, we have an understanding of who we are and what we need. But the repentance, that's the heavy lifting we do. And, and then the believing and the confession, we do. And then there's the baptism. And again, we have a part to play in that, but for many that have been baptized, they would know there's a supernatural element that takes place in, in response to our obedience. I know many people who have been healed in response to baptism, or their Christianity has gone to another level in response to baptism. So it's kind of like we do a bit and God does a bit more. But this last area... It's kind of like God does the bulk of what we're talking about. We just need to be open and ready to receive and hungering after what he's got for us. And I think we can know, we, and we want to know, we should want to know if it's happened for us or not. Because otherwise we can be kidding ourselves. We, can, we have high expectations of ourselves and we're continually getting preached at about who we are in Christ and what we can expect and you know, living holy lives and, and amen, amen, amen to all of that sort of stuff. But if we're still in this realm trying to do what all this represents, mate, we are in big trouble. We really are. We're in big, big trouble. That's when, as a Christian, you know, you, you hear burnouts so many times. You know, not high-powered corporate businessmen, but we're talking like just everyday believer burnout. It's about people getting bitter and twisted and not able to get along with each other and all that sort of stuff because, you know, like I said, we're in a fight. We're in a spiritual fight. We're called to transform the world. We're called to bring people out of hell and into heaven. And there's opposition to that. And so we need to get rid of this mentality and tap into what God's made for, available to us. And so if we read the book of Acts again, we see that there are five particular occasions where it talks about this gift of the Holy Spirit being imparted, this power being put into a person's life. And we see that each time, it's not just like a hit or miss thing. It's like you know when it's happened. And again, I've had people argue with me black and blue, you know, that I'm a Christian, I'm as good as you are, and, you know, are you saying I'm whatever? Because I sort of come from a Pentecostal sort of background in terms of church experience, and I thank God for that. Um, 
and, and you know, sometimes there's, there's tensions in the church between different theological perspectives and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I know scripturally and experientially that when God came into my life, as evidenced and as, as recorded in the Bible in that way, my life was changed. I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. I was useless for four or five years to God. Absolutely useless. I swore just as much, did just as much dumb stuff, was just as much of a pain in the backside to people, was rude, arrogant, you know, absolutely ashamed of some of the stuff I did as a Christian from my early Christian war until somehow I began to get hungry for something of more of God. And I, I can't put it down to one thing. I just know that somehow God was on my case. And I, I began to say, well, God, I know that because I was part of this church and I saw people who... who were empowered by God and spoken to all that sort of stuff, and uh, just began to get a little bit hungry myself. Like God, I, I'm struggling here. I need help. And so, over a period of time of just me asking and waiting and asking and waiting and asking and waiting, eventually God came into my life in a very tangible way. And, and it was, for me, it was a, uh, I spoke in tongues, and and that was kind of a little bit freaky and a little bit cool. Um, because, you know, again, I understood what it was because I was in a church where that was expressed. Um, but when it happened, it wasn't about that particular thing so much as it was the evidence that something had taken place. And then the next day, there was more evidence of something. And my life changed in terms of my perspective, my passions, uh, my priorities. All of that sort of stuff began to change for me. And again, we see that in the Word of God. I knew like I knew like I knew when that had happened. Up until then, I was, I was certainly a Christian. I believe I was saved. I believe the grace of God was on my life. I believe God still loved me. He was pretty, probably pretty frustrated with me at, at times. But I know my life, my, my desire to read his word and know him, my desire to share with others, it suddenly, it wasn't there one day, it was there the next. It wasn't something I conjured up. It was something that God brought into my life. And so we can see as we read through the Bible that you know, Jesus told these guys to wait for this empowerment from on high. And we read about it in Acts chapter 2, and you know the story, well, you possibly know the story, but I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 2 later on when you get home. And it says, you know, there was a, they're all upstairs in the upper room, 120 odd people. You know, Jesus had been gone 10 days, and they're, you know, it says 120, it was possibly 500, possibly a few guys had already, you know, it's, it's really cool when you're expecting something for the first day, and then it's still all right when you're waiting the second day, and, the, and you wonder sort of how much the prayer meeting shrunk by over the next 10 days or so. There was 120 of them in this upper room, and suddenly it says like there was a sound like a rushing wind, and it seems like these flames of fire came and sat upon each person's head, and they began to speak in these other languages. They had no idea what they were saying, but they just were overwhelmed with a revelation of who God was, his goodness, and they, they, they can't contain it. They spill out of this room into the streets, and they're just jabbering on, babbling on, whatever. And the, the amazing thing is that the people around about from all over the Roman Empire, are understanding. Hang on, these guys are speaking Greek. These guys are speaking you know, so on and so forth. And, and we're understanding. They're praising God. And so, you know, Peter kind of explains what's going on. And you know, that's the initial, I guess, empowering of the church, if you like. But then we see that pattern repeated later on down the track. So it wasn't just a once-off thing. In Acts chapter 8, um, we see that Stephen went down and began to preach. Or sorry, after Stephen was martyred, Philip went down and began to preach. Where are we? In Samaria. And again, people received the good news. People were being healed and delivered. All sorts of good things were happening. 
And, and in response to that, Peter and John went down there. I'm reading from verse 15. It says, when they arrived, they prayed for them they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, to me what that's saying is it's possible to be a believer. It's possible to be baptized in water. It's possible to be well-intentioned and all the other stuff that I've said before, but not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the apostles pray for them. It then goes on and talks about a guy called Simon who sees what goes on. He tries to buy the gift and gets rebuked. And <clears throat> my point is <clears throat> that it was, there was a, a supernatural, tangible manifestation of God's presence that was there. This guy saw it and he wanted to, he wanted to buy into it. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 9, we see that Paul, um, one minute a persecutor of the church, struck off his horse, um, <clears throat> carries on to Damascus, Met by a man called Ananias who says, God's going to heal you and he's going to fill you with his spirit. We see that takes place. Paul goes on to become a, a pillar in the church, a foundational member of the church. And, and so much of the New Testament is um, we have today because of his ministry. We know that he himself was a person who spoke this, this supernatural language. He says, I do it more than all of you. All of you. So I think, again, this, it, to me that's evidence of a supernatural thing that took place as well as the healing that took place. When he was filled. In Acts chapter 10, we have the story of Cornelius. Um, Cornelius was a Roman centurion and he was a God fearer. Um, and basically, he had an angelic visitation and was sent, sent for Peter. Um, Peter comes back to him and his household and begins to just share some of the gospel. And I'll read you quickly what happened. It says, While Peter <clears throat> was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So again, this is the first taking of the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And... Just as they hear the message, suddenly God comes upon them. Wham! And they start speaking in tongues and praising God. And the, the, the Jewish believers are totally taken off guard. They didn't expect it. But it was the same. It was the same gift given. And when Peter has to justify himself later on, because he obviously word gets back to Jerusalem that Peter's been associating with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, um, and he has to give an account. And so he explains to them what happened. And, and basically they said, well, okay. Sounds like God's accepted the Gentiles as well. And so again, we see in all these accounts so far, there's this supernatural element. In Acts chapter 19, again, um, Paul um, goes to Ephesus and he sees some, some believers there and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now to me, that's a, that's a weird question. If it's automatic when you get saved. Okay, I'm, I maybe haven't stated that before, but you know, some people are under the impression that when you become a Christian, that's it, you just get everything. And I think, what does the Bible say? Does that match up with Scripture? Because if it doesn't, we could be being hoodwinked. And if we're being hoodwinked by the enemy, we can be disempowered. Okay? So Paul asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? The guys didn't say, dumb question, Paul. Don't you know? Every person who's saved receives the Holy you know. They said no. And so he prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and so on and so forth. In every, every instance, there's a spontaneous supernatural verbal response. I personally believe that it is, it is speaking in tongues. If you want to take it down a peg, because that intimidates you too much and messes too much with your theology, a supernatural 
spontaneous verbal response. We see definitely there was speaking in tongues. Definitely it mentions prophecy. And in Acts chapter 10, where it did mention speaking in tongues, it also said they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So if you have never, since you've become a Christian, had a moment in your life where you've been seeking God for his empowerment in your life and you've never been overwhelmed. I'm not just saying come to church and praise. When I say praising God, I don't think we're talking about that here. We're talking about a spontaneous going beyond your personality, going beyond anything you've ever understood about God before and being overwhelmed, absolutely blown away by the revelation of who God is and what he's done into your life. That it just, you can't help, it just overflows out. Something that astounds yourself. That's the, that's the impression I get as I read scripture. Not just I went to church and sung some songs, I must be filled and empowered by God. Okay, don't, don't want to be disrespectful in that, but you know what I'm saying. Okay, not just doing what we see other Christians doing, but God coming into our lives, intervening, breaking in, giving us a shake. I think if we haven't had that experience at some point in our life, that we can expect that God wants to bring us into his power in a greater level than we've ever known before. And I think having said that, even if you have had that experience, what happens with a cordless drill when you use it? Eventually, you have to charge it again. And we see in Acts chapter 5, I think it is, where it says all the believers together in one place, they just endured some persecution, some suffering. They get together and they're having a prayer meeting. They're saying, God, you know, check out what's happening. You know, we're not up to it. We need you to move. And it says the, the place they were, were praying was shaken and they received the Holy Spirit. So there was like another infilling, a fresh infilling. And I think, you know, for some of us, we've perhaps been filled and we've leaked. Or we've used up, a, you know, we've used up what God gave us. And we forgot to go back. And we've just become dull, colourless and boring and begin to do stuff in our own strength. And I don't think that's the way God wants us to do life at all. I think it's possible for you to be a believer and to not have the power of God at work in your life. Look, when you become a Christian, God's grace is all over you. I've got no doubt that you will experience joy. I've got no doubt that you'll want to pray and read your Bible and you're going to get a whole bunch of support but it's not necessarily an external empowering. Sometimes it's just being carried along by the revelation of the goodness of what's just taken place in your life and the support of other believers. But it's not that internal empowering for your own self that God wants to give you. I think people can be disempowered because of ignorance. You know, I think that was the case in, in Acts chapter 19 when Paul gets, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And I think many churches and Christians today are like that. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Our teaching has been that that stuff died out in the first century. Or, you know, we're into whatever. There's a whole bunch of stuff that can detract from people hearing about the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just apathy. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm too busy. I've got too much on my plate. I'm I'm a good person. (laughs) What are you saying? You say I'm not as good as you. I'm a good person. I don't need to speak in tongues for that. I don't need to do this or that. Maybe you just haven't asked. James says in, in, in James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. You haven't asked. And I think there's a good principle there. It's just ask God. Another time it says you, sometimes you ask, but you ask with wrong motives. And again, if we're just asking so we can be like everyone else, well, possibly there's not anything wrong with that at one level. But I think that we, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. We want to be holy vessels for God to use, not so we can showboat and whatever else, you know. And possibly we have asked and possibly we have done our best to purify ourselves and possibly it's just that period of waiting. 
Jesus' disciples initially had to wait a period of 10 days. I don't know why. He could have done it right there and then if he wanted to. And I know for my, for my, it was an extended period of time, way longer than it should have been, way longer than was healthy. Thank God something happened. And I know for people in this church, you know, you've been Christians and some of you have been virtually the moment you've become a Christian, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's been awesome. For others, you know, you've, you've struggled for a while and you've said, I know there's something more and God's met you months down the track. And my point is that if we're hungry and thirsty, God will fill us. He really will. He'll meet us where we're at. And I don't want any of us to live disempowered lives. I don't want us, any of us to be ignorant. And I, like I said, there's some awesome stuff that we're hearing as a church at the moment. You know, I absolutely um, am committed to seeing the church be holy. I'm absolutely committed to see the church get out of the community and make a difference. Absolutely want to see these things. But if we just try and do it out of our goodness of our own hearts and the strength of our own bodies, we're just going to wear ourselves out and end up in disappointment and then think it's all too hard and slowly drift away from church. And so we used to do that once. A million miles from what the early church experience was and is. And not just the early church, the church throughout history. So I hope tonight, really I've just stirred a desire and, and, and possibly it's something you've heard for the first time. Possibly it's an awakening of something you know but have let slip. Perhaps we can have our worship team come because I'm just sort of winding up now. But I hope you know, some of these illustrations, as, as kind of corny as they might be, are going to serve as a reminder that we can do things in man's strength or we can do it in the manifest power of God, his strength. The task is massively too big for us. If it's not, we're probably not living really where God wants us to be because we can pull back and make our life comfortable and say, well, I'm doing all right. But if we want to be where God wants us to be, on that cutting edge, we're actually making a difference. We're going to be trying to get into people's lives with every good intention. Our hearts are going to be almost bleeding love for them. And we're going to get persecuted for it. We're going to get misunderstood. We're going to get spoken about behind our backs. We're going to get hurt. And that's in good old Australia. You know, we're by and large, we're pretty tolerant sort of bunch. Take it to another country, perhaps change some of the things that happen in this country. And again, we could be looking at far worse than that. People are today, across the world, literally taking their life in their hands just to live as a Christian, never mind share the gospel with others who are non-Christians. I don't know about you, I'm not up to that. I might be up to it on a good day in my own strength, but if someone took one of my kids and put a gun to their head and said, do you believe in Jesus? I'm not up to that, really, in my own strength. But by the grace of God, we see that families have, have held their kids in front of lions so they would die first because they knew that absent from the body is present with Christ. It's not a natural thing that they have done. I think we need to be honest. If, if, if this life seems okay without God's power, I think we're really not in the place where he wants us to be. If we've come to the place where we just feel, man, I can't do this anymore, that's actually a good place. That's actually the, exactly where God wants us to be. Because then we can come to him and find grace in our time of need. Paul said, I strive with all his energy, which works so powerfully in me. He said, who's up to this task? You know, he talks about the fact that some with the smell of life, others with the stench of death. Who's up to that task? But then he says, in Colossians, it's his energy that works so powerfully in me. And I don't know about you, but I, I've experienced that energy. I, I don't always experience it. Sometimes I 
gets in my own strength and I know which is better. Can we just pray? I, I want to offer, I don't want to sort of leave you hanging because I know there are probably some people think, oh, I want, I want this. And I would love to, in a minute, just offer, offer an opportunity for people to come and be prayed for because one of the things we do notice in most of these examples in Acts is people were, received the Spirit with the laying on of hands. And so, you know, we need some of our leaders to just pray for you. And again, there's your part to play. Why, why? It's like for us to receive this gift, I think we need to cooperate with God. We need to give over our mouth. We need to give over. James talks about the fact that our tongue, our mouth is the most unruly member of the body. It's, it's almost like God's last laugh in a sense that he chooses to bring the, the tongue under control first. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd prefer wings to prove, you know, to show that the power of God has arrived. I really would. Or maybe, you know, a glow-in-the-dark body or super strength or something. Make it much easier, wouldn't it, to sell it? But, (laughs) but you know, when you're praying for someone, you're saying, "Look, God's presence is here, and He just wants you to just receive Him and yield your body, your mouth to Him." And so, when we pray for you, possibly there's going to be there's going to be a revelation of God come on you and you're going to feel like, these guys are going to think I'm weird if I say what I, what's in my head to say. I'm saying just, just go for it. It'll, it'll unlock the door to a whole new realm of God's experience and power to you. Okay? Also just mindful that there are people here who, who don't know God at all and possibly much of what I've shared tonight is going over your head. But again, all that I've spoken about tonight what applies to the church applies to a person who doesn't know Christ at this point in time and all that much more. The Bible talks about the fact that we're going to stand before God one day and there's judgment coming. The Bible talks about the fact that there is a devil who's out to kill, steal and destroy. He wants to rob people of life. He wants to rob them of joy. He wants to rob them of peace and sanity and everything else. And if you just come to church as a last resort tonight, well, it starts by just giving your life over to God, to Jesus. I said before, there's our part to play. Our part to play is coming. You just come to that realization, God is real. People have talked about sin. I didn't really like the idea, but yep, I haven't lived the life that God wanted me to live, if I'm honest. God, I receive your sacrifice on my behalf. Will you come and be my Lord and be my Savior? That's the bottom. That's as easy as it is to start this journey with God. Follow that up with baptism. Seek God's power for your life. And that's what is the new birth, the new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Can we stand? I just want to pray for us and then just just have some music playing. And I would like to, it's about 7.30. I'd like to call the meeting to a close in a sense. If you need to go, feel free to go. Um, It's great coffee and tea and fellowship out there. But some may want to just stay here and linger for a little bit and certainly we'll have to pray with you. Please, again, I mentioned before, um, if you want to be part of our discipleship program, if you want to be part of Connect Groups, see the info desk straight after. But I just want to pray and then just open up the front for anyone who would like to, you know, you might say, well, I prayed for that before and nothing happened. And Well, keep asking. I don't know any person, honestly, in all sincerity, I don't know any person who has sought God's power, sought this gift, and has been disappointed. It's happened eventually. Might not happen overnight, but it will happen. Father, I thank you for your amazing provision. 
I thank you, Lord God, for the magnitude of the task that you've called us to as a reflection of the magnitude of the lengths to which you're willing to go to help us achieve the task. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I believe your word is clear, that you are for us and that you're wanting to empower us. You're wanting us to live in a natural world, but supernaturally inspired and empowered in order that we might be overcomers, that we might not cower and might not cave in to the pressures of life, but we might stride through life victoriously, bringing inspiration and encouragement to others, Lord. Lord, that we might be your witnesses. Many of us in our own strength are afraid to talk to others about you or feel inadequate and unable to articulate the truth that we need to articulate. God, we need you to help us to be your witnesses. Lord, we're confronted regularly with situations that are beyond us. We hear of people who have terminal illnesses. And God, our hearts sink. We think, I wish there was something I could do. And yet we see an early church and we see many who have tapped into your power and seen the sick raised up and even the dead raised up. And we've seen people with mental torment, Lord God. And we thought, if only I was a counsellor. And and really, Lord, you want to spiritually empower us to bring spiritual healing. And so, God, tonight I pray that you would grace us with your presence in that special way. That as we just pray for some people tonight, that you would come and empower them. Some may have been asking for days or weeks or months, possibly years, and have never got it, Lord, for whatever reason. Others might be the first time they heard they're going to come here. Lord, grace us with your presence. May there be tangible, supernatural evidence that you are here tonight touching people, meeting with people. In Jesus' name I pray. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.